Hello, thank you for joining me. My name is Amber Moore. I am the executive director of Real Boys Talk, and we're going to do a Black History Month uh, special, basically. We are going to talk about, or I'm going to talk about Gladys Bentley. The goal of Real Boys Talk conversations that I have is so that I can provide you all with some information, food for thought, my opinions, that kind of thing, and then you take it offline. Take it to your best friends. Take it to people who, you know, you're like, hey, let's have these conversations because I think they're they're very important to masculine-identified gay females, especially my African-American, um, you know, studs, basically, and my Latinas. Latino, yeah, Latinas. So we're going to talk about Gladys Bentley. And I do have some notes, so bear with me because I don't memorize things anymore. Um, so Gladys Bentley is, she was born August the 12th, 1907. As we all know, that was just like a very much, it seems like it was a long time ago, but honestly, it really wasn't. Um, she died January 18th, uh, 1960. So she was 52 years old. Um, she was known, if you know, if you don't know the name Gladys Bentley, you will know the picture because everybody kind of posted during um, Black History Month or lesbian history or LGBT um history month, that kind of thing. She's always dressed in white tails and a top hat. That was her signature. She was a, black, a blues singer. She was a pianist. And she was very much a hot entertainer during Harlem Renaissance, which is like my favorite time. Why do I want to talk about her? Because I think that she sets some of the what's the word I'm going to look for? I think, actually, let me rephrase that. She like paves or she paved the way for me to be me, how I wanted to dress, and the generations after me. Now, the generations before me weren't as bold as we are now. Let's just take a real brief moment and have that conversation, okay? Because this is also part of our series, not just that it's Black History Month, but it is part of that image. Walk with me. So her, let's talk about her a little bit more and bring you up so that you'll understand. And all of this, I hope, will all connect as I go. Her career start, uh, actually took off in the 1920s at the Harry Hansberry Crab, um, Crab House. She was known as the Black lesbian crossdresser. She wore men's clothing. She was known for wearing tails, top hat, being very suave. And she sang um, pretty raunchy kind of lyrics, so to speak, which we would say then they were considered raunchy. Today, it's like your, your Trina, your Cardi B, your Megan Stallion you know, let me tell you what I really want. And if you've heard some of the old stuff, they got real, they got nasty, nasty, okay? That was her thing. She had a growling, a growling-like voice um, and she flirted with the women. There was not a, a question about her sexuality, okay? She was not trying to be a man. That she established that very early on. She was um, not in any kind of format trying to be, and she really did actually get the ladies. Let's just say she was real suave with it. Um, the ladies wanted to, you know, kind of holler at her, and she wanted to holler back, right? So she was also called the Brown Bomber of Sophistication. And some of the stuff that she did, she sang when she got to California. So she didn't, she stayed in um, New York for a very long time, really doing most like the Cotton Club, things of that nature, really beefing up her, her style and really wanting, people wanted her. 
um, to perform. So she was a hot commodity. Let's not get that twisted. She was a hot commodity, even in her tails and top hat, even growling at the ladies, even getting the ladies, people knowing that she was a lesbian was not really an issue so much. Um, yeah, of course she, as we all have gotten, you know, some slack, she actually got frequently harassed for wearing men's clothing. And of course, we all know where that was coming from. Was it coming from the ladies? Of course not. It was coming from the men. Because as we all have encountered, and if you haven't, then that means you will at some point. That means you're new to the game. You will encounter men coming up to you and wanting to test you. As some people say, test that gangster. Because they think that you want to be one of them. So they're like, oh, you want to be a man? No, I'm just comfortable in who I am. Okay? My job is not to make you happy. It's to make me happy. And if I like what I'm wearing, then I, hey, I'm going to wear it, right? So that is how she was. Um, and she was very early on, she was very much during MacArthur's era, she was openly a lesbian. Now, as we have learned, a lot of us also learned the pressure at that time to live in your truth was really, really hard, okay? It was extremely hard. Um, and it was wearing. It was very wearing and tearing on her. Excuse me. Got to get something to drink. Um, no, it's not liquor. I wish, you know, um, but no, um, but what she did find and what she learned and what she did was she ended up conforming to society. She moved to California, um, and under, through her book and, or in her book and things that she wrote, um, she claimed that she started taking female hormones, which allowed her to be more, to gather that more feminine kind of look. Okay. Um, it gave her, you know, it made her not want to wear men's clothing. I don't know how me personally, eh, I think the hype of, of people harassing her about being in men's clothing and being a lesbian, it can wear on you, especially during that time period. So she wasn't wanting to be that kind of soldier to take on that kind of, um, that heat. She let it go. So she started wearing dresses. She got even married. She married a couple of men, according to what I've read about her. She wasn't playing no games. Okay. So she, you know, she had her, her, her marriages and things of that nature. Now, what I will say is image wise, a lot of us, and this is where the older stud mindset is on a lot of people that the younger studs are encountering and why they're encountering these studs with that concept of, uh, you aren't really a stud. Here's where it comes from. Here's a lot of where this can, this can be one of those elements that plays that role. Um, also, if you haven't seen the play called Walk Like a Man, you need to see it. Um, I don't know if it's playing anymore. I would love to be able to get it back um, and bring it back to Atlanta again, because it is an amazing play, because there's a section in there that kind of tells you how a lot of studs developed to being a stud. Okay, well, I'll, I'll talk about that. But with, with Gladys, she grew up, her mom did not want a girl. She already had boys. She wanted nothing but boys. She did not want a girl and she treated her badly. Okay, growing up, she was really truly treated badly. So Gladys had this thing as she was growing up, she didn't want men to touch her. She hated her brothers. And that is when she started saying to gain power, it is apparently not for me to have, I'm not able to be empowered by being a woman. So if I put on men's clothing, I am able to not be noticed as a woman and I'm not treated in such a way that takes my power away from me. Did you catch it? 
Okay, I'll, I think you caught it. A lot of us, and and I and I will say this: a lot of us as studs, and and I'm in the older group, and this is what I'm talking about. A lot of older studs had that growing up trauma. I did not, but I know several that did had that growing up trauma where they were not, um, or they saw things of how people treated a female, didn't want that treatment, figured, uh, what's that, let me get you before you get me kind of mentality. So if I hide my essence of woman behind a masculine feel in masculine clothes, then you will not bother me. Now, it gets tainted or it gets challenged by the new younger crew that's out there now. That's where a lot of this is coming from, guys. So for her, for Gladys, she left when she was 16 and went to New York, okay, and started singing her ass off, all right? So one thing she says that she, that she mentioned in her book um, or that I read about was that in 1958, she started taking female hormones and studying to be a minister. So she was trying to kind of take away, say, okay, that that entertainment life, that in the club life was all with the lesbian, all that intertwines together. Okay. Um, if you are, if you know any drag kings that are that that no longer do drag, that was kind of how we were. It's like we did all that stuff in the club. Now we now we just gotta be now we're living a whole different lifestyle. A lot of the studs that were on stage are now you know, business owners, they decided, shoot, let me go ahead and I, I want a business. I've been doing this drag king and thing. I love it, but this is what I'm, this is the next path. This is the next phase of my life. There have been some ministers that have come out of that. Amazing. They did not change who they were in terms of being masculine. They still kept that where she let that go. Um, and they did say that she did claim that these female hormones or the hormones that she was taking, and she did have an operation, they said also, that changed her, gave her a more feminine outlook. So she kind of gave up the wearing of the men's clothing and being a lesbian, so they say. Um, and then she did, she actually wrote an essay called I Am a Woman Again. And this was in this was done in Ebony magazine, where she says that she underwent an operation that changed her life. No, no other details have been given. And I wasn't able to find any other details about this operation and what the operation actually was. Like, was it a hysterectomy? Was it something else in there? It didn't. She it doesn't really say. Okay. Now. In 1930, though, now we're going to step back a little bit. In 1930, she actually um, was living with a woman named um, Beatrice Robert, a white woman at that. Okay. And they say that she this not she didn't marry um, Bernice. Her name is Bernice Robert. I don't know if I said that right the first time. But in 1930, she actually um, was living in California with with this woman who was white. But in 1931, she has said that she had a public marriage to a white woman. Now, this was a civil ceremony, as we all know, but this was not done in California, it was done in New Jersey. So she kind of, as, as you know, traveling as entertainers do, she traveled, did her thing. So it is also said that, um, that it, wasn't, it wasn't Bernice. It wasn't Bernice Roberts, it was some other white lady. Um, 
but they don't also they don't tell you how long she's actually lived with Roberts. They just say in 1930, in 1930, she was living with Roberts. Um, and then in 1931, she wasn't living with Roberts somewhere. She got married to a woman. Now, she also marries a couple of dudes in this, but this is in the 1950s when she does that. Like I said, in 1958, she's told to be more on female hormones and studying to be a minister. But in 1952, around that time period, I'm, I'm going to say about 1950, 1953, in that time frame, she actually went to L.A., okay? She got married to this gentleman named J.T. Gibson, who apparently died right after they got married in 1952. And this was, and then she says, then it says that she was married to a guy named Charles Roberts. Now, uh, Charles says they ain't never get married. He said, no, nah, I ain't never married her. Okay. And um, the one thing that I think we have to look at when it comes to Bert, to Gladys is she did carry a boldness, even though, now walk with me, even though she went back and got with a man and decided that she was going to be more feminine and walk with Jesus and all of that, that didn't take away anything. That's okay. That's fine. People do. You have the right to change your, 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 your journey at any time, whatever it feels you need to do, you change it. Um, that's all about your happiness. Um, but then she did actually go back um, after after 1952, she started going back to being in that more masculine tone slightly, not as hard as she did when she was at, in New York and performing and things of that nature, because she was still more getting that minister feel and getting more into the Bible and more into her, her church and more into building that. Um, the sad part is that she died of pneumonia and it was unexpected, was not something that she brought on. It just unexpectedly, she got pneumonia, she died at home. So it tells you in LA, January the 18th, 1960, she was 52 years old. Um, she, as it says, she was, she was actually an ordained minister and was due to get, um, I guess the ceremony, the paperwork and everything else before she died. Um, but it didn't happen or after she died before this happened, before she could get uh, officially in a ceremonial way ordained, but she was considered an ordained minister at the time of her death. Um, and she had become more into the church. Did that take away, did they say, does that mean that she stopped being a lesbian and that we should not still look at her and be like, what is her legacy? No, I think it still is very relevant. She is still very relevant because she was a, she was revolutionary in her masculinity. Okay. She, and the key of this is that she was not trying to pass as a man. Okay, she didn't try to deceive her audience when she was in that mouth in that masculine tone. She wasn't trying to be dece deceptive in any form of fashion. But what she did do was she cracked the ceiling. If you understand what I'm saying, that glass ceiling, she cracked it. She tapped at it, she tapped at it, she tapped at it. But it wasn't her journey to fight that. She was just to crack it. That's all her job was because there are women behind her that broke it. And that's why we are where we are. Understand that. Okay. And here's the thing. It could be more so that she was able to release her 
trauma of how she how she grew up with the fact that her mother did not want any female didn't want a little girl she wanted boys boys only and because of that traumatic part of her embracing men's clothing and that more masculine feel for her and being more with women that right there was her way of having her masculinity and then at some point she felt comfortable enough to go okay i can shed that it's not all that i am okay I take you, the reason why I keep going back to this because I need for people to understand that is a lot of these older studs. That's their story, okay? That they were, there was some trauma in there and what they saw was the weakness of a woman. Not realizing that in some ways, because we all, you know, we all know the horror stories of some of, some of our friends, you know, that they, you know, their, their mom, they didn't have, you know, their dad wasn't there. They had men running in and out the house or their mom was married to their dad, but dad was not a good guy. You know, not that he was abusive. He just wasn't a good guy. You know, then you have some of those that have good experience with very positive male role models, so positive that the female role model is not. And so they, they, they kind of gravitate to that. What is that power? And they see we all as children are always looking for the power. Deep down inside, that's what you look at. I grew up with some strong ass black women. So I, I, I'm not strong, I grew up with some strong ass black men. So there's that combination for me, right? Everybody doesn't have that. You had one that might be weaker, one that was not even there. You know, what if your mother was not a positive role model? She was not a good girl. She was not a good lady. She was in the streets doing things she probably didn't have no business doing because you, you know, were with, you know, at home or whatever. So you might have had, your, you might have been raised by your grandmother. You never know how these things affect a person. And I think that what we have to look at with Gladys is the fact that she is definitely a strong masculine role model for us to look at spite of how she became that, how she embraced that, doesn't matter. I mean, for this, okay? It matters to the fact of how it affected her because it was not her journey to fight our fight in terms of, like I said, she was just a crack. Just her job, her journey was to crack the ceiling and then do her thing with her music. Uh, um, she's, and I, I did not get into her music as such because I wanted to talk about the person who she was. Um, and so for Black History Month, Real Boys Talk takes a moment and we salute Miss Gladys Bentley, who was born on August 12th, 1907 and died January 18th, 1960 at the age of 52. She was an amazing blues singer, pianist, and of course she was, the inter she was an entertainer during the Harlem Renaissance. She was a black lesbian. We give her credit. She was a masculine and beautiful black lesbian. And so we look at her this, this month during Black History Month and we say, thank you. Thank you very much, Gladys. We appreciate you. Again, this is another moment of Real Boys Talk. This is our Black History Month at, um, episode. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope that you'll take what I've said and even dig a little deeper, have an offline conversation. Let me know what you think. Thank you very much. And if you need us, go to www.realboystalk.org or you can hit me up on an email, realboystalk at gmail.com. Please understand that boy is B-O-I, not B-O-Y. You guys have a great evening. Catch you later.